0: Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I am Peter Spiegel. Well folks, we've got some real interesting uh, news items that I'd like to uh, present to you today uh, starting in Chicago at the McCormick Place Lakeside Center in Chicago, Illinois. It turns out that Chicago sits on the Mississippi Flyway, so it's a vital migration route for millions of migratory birds. And on October 4th, 2023, in the evening, there was a horrifying mass casualty event, according to Indefensive Animals, IDA, who provided this report and the plea, which I will tell you about, where over 1,000 migrating birds died in one evening after colliding into the windows at the McCormick Place Center. The birds, of course, get injured and killed in collisions with buildings during both the spring and fall migrations. They become confused by lights and reflections on the windows. In 2019, researchers from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology named Chicago as the most dangerous city for migratory birds. Now, there is a program called Lights Out Chicago, which is an initiative to reduce bird deaths in the city by turning out or dimming city lights. On that fateful night, the building did not dim lights, despite the fact that it was during migration season. IDA says protecting birds could also be done by having events that are planned earlier in the day during bird migration seasons. Uh, Good luck with that. And implementing other bird protection strategies as well. In 2020, the Chicago City Council passed an ordinance that requires all new buildings to be constructed with bird-safe features but it has yet to be implemented. In 2021, Governor Pritzker signed the Bird Safe Buildings Act, which requires bird-friendly design to be incorporated into the construction and renovation of state-owned buildings in Illinois, but these are very few in number. IDA recommends dimming and turning out lights as the simplest way to prevent collisions. Other bird-safe building measures include installing tinted and patterned window film, parachute cords, screens, and even simple window decals. So what you can do, you can make calls to the Metropolitan Pier and Exposition Authority, Mayor Brandon Johnson and the governor. You can send a message on social media. And of course, you can send a letter and uh, you can go to the IDA website and get guidance on how to word these things and the phone numbers. News from California and the governor there, of course, is Gavin Newsom. Uh, He signed a bill into law uh, last month banning the sale of fur throughout the state. Newsom says he aims to protect animal welfare, according to PETA. Besides the fur trade provision, the legislation outlaws the use of animals in circuses and makes it illegal to hunt and kill bobcats. Newsom said California is a leader when it comes to animal welfare, that's true, and today that leadership includes banning the sale of fur. But we are doing more than that. We are making a statement to the world that beautiful wild animals like bears and tigers have no place on trapeze wires or jumping through flames. Just YouTube the video showing the cruel cool way these animals, often stripped from their mothers as babies, are trained to do dangerous tricks. It's deeply disturbing. So Gavin Newsom gets one right. Thank you, California. The law, of course, makes exceptions for fur used for religious purposes, taxidermy, licensed hunting, and some products such as leather. Also protects wild and domestic horses and bans the trade and import of various types of dead reptiles. Another popular dog name list, this one courtesy of not our favorite organization, the American Kennel Club registrations. Here are the top dog names in 2023 for registered dogs. For a female dogs, uh, top 10 from most common, Luna, Bella, Daisy, Maggie, Willow, Lucy, Bailey, Rosie, Sadie, and Lola. Sounds familiar. And for boys, Max, Charlie, Cooper, Teddy, Milo, Ali, Bear, Rocky, Finn, and Leo. So if you want to have an interesting named dog, go elsewhere. The organization Rise for Animals is bringing attention to a campaign to educate people about this incredible facility in upstate New York, about an hour outside of Rochester, really in the rural nowhere, called Marshall Bio Resources. And Marshall Bio Resources breeds and then warehouses thousands upon thousands of beagles, ferrets, and other animals that are used in research. Rise for Animals, along with Animal Rights Rochester, are educating drivers using billboards uh, and sending them to the website North Rose Secrets. North Rose is the town where Marshall Bioresources is located, and then you get all the information about what's going on uh, in breeding uh, these animals for their uh, cruel fate. Rise for Animals played a key role in founding the Center for Contemporary Sciences, a groundbreaking organization leveraging technology and markets to replace animals in research and testing. Rise for Animals used to be called NEAVS, the New England Anti-Vivisection Society, which itself was founded in 1895. So They've got a, a long history in this area. Once again, go to North rosesecrets.com to get the full story. A group of men in the Everglades encountered a nearly 200-pound Burmese python, and they teamed up to capture it. It measured ultimately 17 feet 2 inches, and the photo shows these five guys lined up uh, holding this huge and th- thick, scary now killed a snake. Apparently, they came upon it and they hopped out and sort of went went to it. Uh, After they restrained it, then they called over fish and wildlife who euthanized it with a bolt gun. One of the men said, we do love these animals. They're a fantastic snake, you know, in captivity and done properly, they can be a super docile animal. They're just not supposed to be wild in the Everglades. They're taking out a gross amount of animals out here that are native to the glades. And that's all true. It's a huge problem with no good solution. And uh, these snakes ultimately they don't get adopted and they don't get relocated. They just get they just are killed. As such, the pythons are indeed a threat to native wildlife and uh, they are allowed to be killed year-round without a permit or license. It's also prohibited in the state of Florida to have them as pets. Their average length is uh, between six and nine feet. So This was uh, out there. Only one longer or larger has been uh, recorded. This is the stuff of nightmares. If you want to uh, disrupt your sleep, uh, take a look at this story. We want to recognize the uh, passing of the amazing Bob Barker. He was 99 years old, and of course, he was a very strong animal advocate. Do you remember his catchphrase, help control the pest population, have your pets spayed or neutered? I remember that going way back. Barker was a vegan and animal rights activist and also influenced or controlled the prizes offered on The Price is Right. He refused to allow fur coats to be given as prizes, and that ban continues today. By the way, he also banned foreign automobiles, leather goods, and even cars with leather seats, which we can relate to. Uh, he purchased a vessel for C. Shepherd and also included a helicopter, threw in a helicopter, and also was named after him at the request of Paul Watson himself. This is an interesting story and progress, and I just want to review it. It's courtesy of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. and They have a press release whereby they announce that in concert with the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, a pilot network in Southern California to provide care and welfare for animals confiscated from illegal trade. It reads, this network is a pilot program of AZA's Wildlife Tracking Alliance that provides a coordinated response for the care and well-being of wildlife confiscated from illegal trade, which, of course, is a huge problem. Online marketplaces and social media have made it significantly easier for consumers to illegally acquire wild animals. Every year, millions of trafficked animals fuel this global demand. Wildlife trafficking decimates species in the wild, fuels criminal networks, destabilizes governments, encourages corruption, and threatens human and animal health through transmission of disease. They continue, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is proud to work with a broad spectrum of law enforcement and conservation partners to ensure the health, well-being, and proper care of all seas, wildlife, and plants in our custody. The newly established pilot program network will help conserve animals and plants for future generations. And what this does is add some structure to a somewhat haphazard agreement that uh, various agencies and organizations uh, have. There's a dedicated wildlife confiscations coordinator now, and wildlife law enforcement can now make a single phone call and relay the specific housing needs of the species involved. The coordinator will then refer to a list of vetted and permitted professional animal care facilities to determine who can help. And finally... The story of a stray dog who seems to have rescued an abandoned newborn baby. This is in Lebanon. It seems as if the baby was placed in a bag and dumped in an area where there are lots of stray dogs, perhaps with the intention of letting the baby be killed and eaten by the dogs. Anyway, one particular dog. Grabbed the bag containing the baby and was then seen by a passerby who heard the newborn baby's cries. And ultimately, the baby was taken to the hospital, a little bruised, only a few hours old. And the child was described last as in serious but stable condition. And so the dog is being rightfully praised as a hero. One internet commenter said the dog has much more humanity, kindness, cunning, and intelligence than some satanic mutants in human form. We like that. Turn of a phrase. Another said the dog that dragged her was more humane in the face of the brutality and criminality of the one who threw her. So anonymous dog, thank you. Okay. More with animals today coming up. For more than 60 years, the International Society for Animal Rights has been consistently fighting the battle against dog and cat overpopulation and advancing animal rights and law. ISAR is committed to saving animals' lives through ISAR's annual Worldwide International Homeless Animals Day. To learn more about ISAR's programs, please visit their website at www.isaronline.org.
1: Welcome back to Animals Today. If you're a cat or dog guardian, hopefully your animal has identification tags on their body and is microchipped. Many people think ID tags are enough if your companion animal gets lost or escapes from your home, but it's really not. I mean, what if the collar falls off of him or her, or someone purposely or accidentally removes their collar and tags? Then what? Having both identification tags and microchipping your pet is the best thing you can do to ensure in the unlikely event you are separated from your animal that he or she will be successfully reunited with you and your family. Now, in a minute, I'm going to tell you a little story to emphasize this point that microchipping your animal is needed in addition to identification tags. But first, what is a microchip? Microchips are small. They're about the size of a grain of rice. A hermetically sealed glass capsule keeps moisture out and contains a chip, antenna, and a capacitor. Now, the microchip is inserted into the loose skin of your dog's shoulder with a large needle. Now, this may sound painful. It really isn't. The dogs don't even flinch when it's inserted, so it doesn't even require sedation. A very interesting little fact here. In 1985, Dr. Hannes Stoddard invented the microchip-based pet recovery system and formed American Veterinary Identification Devices, AVID, A-V-I-D. AVID's pioneering work in the field of radio frequency identification has been globally recognized by the award of 37 patents. AVID saves pets' lives every day by reuniting thousands of lost animals with their families. Now, I want to tell you a true story. A few years back in Indio, California, a stray or or lost dog was picked up and delivered to the Animal Care Center of Indio Animal Shelter. So that's the, the animal shelter in Indio, California. Although the shelter's usual protocol, like most shelters in the country, was to perform a scan for a microchip upon intake to help determine who quote, owns this dog. Their scanning device had been broken for a while and dogs simply were not getting scanned. Now we learned about this serious and unfortunate breach of standard protocol in a rather roundabout fashion. A few times a year, my friend Catherine would on her own arrange for anywhere from five to 10 dogs to be transported from this disgraceful shelter in Indio, which had a very high kill rate to a Northern California shelter, which was highly successful at getting their dogs into loving homes. Now, after making all the transfer arrangements, Catherine would pass pack up her own vehicle, and escort the dogs to the safety of the northern shelter. Now, the dog in question, upon entering the northern shelter, was scanned and found to have a microchip, which provided enough information to locate the dog's owner, who proved to be a resident of the town of Indio. Even though the dog had no ID tags, Bean Microchip made it possible to find the owner. Now this man truly loved his dog and was terribly upset when he lost him. He immediately jumped into his car, drove 500 miles to reclaim his dog and reunite him with the rest of his family. So except for the unnecessary thousand miles of driving, the the stress the dog experienced and the expense incurred by the owner, this fiasco ended happily. Nevertheless, think how easily it could have been completely Avoided if the Indio shelter only had a functioning scanner and used it. This dog was lucky to get out of the Indio shelter and to get scanned, even if 500 miles away. But we'll never really know how many lost and stray dogs picked up by the city of Indio's animal control during the time the shelter was not properly scanning were unnecessarily killed instead of being reunited with their families. So very important, number one, make sure your dog and cat is microchipped. Number two, keep your microchip registry information current. The shelter where you adopted the dog or cat or a veterinarian can assist you in locating the registry for the chip. And number three, don't forget all companion animals should also be wearing current identification tags. And you are listening to Animals Today, your home first series talk about animals. Join us each week for animal news from around the world and visit us at animalstodayradio.com. I want to remind my listeners how important it is to plan for the care of your animals in case you die before them. And I want to tell you a little story related to this. Several years ago, when I was single and living in a condominium in Palm Springs, I had an elderly neighbor who lived across the way who had a dog, Chloe. Chloe was an eight-year-old white terrier mix, and my neighbor just loved this dog. Now, sadly, after an illness, this woman passed away, and she never made arrangements for someone to care for Chloe after she died. Now, her children traveled from the other side of the country to bury their mother, but... They had no interest in taking or adopting Chloe, so Chloe ended up in a shelter, where, as you know, tragically, many unwanted dogs are euthanized. This was clearly the last thing my neighbor would have wanted to happen to Chloe. Now, fortunately, because of my good working relationship with the shelter personnel, they agreed not to euthanize Chloe and to hold her until I could find a loving forever home. And fortunately, this did happen. Chloe lived out her senior years, not only with a
0: wonderful couple, but with their shepherd mix, who she adored. And you helped place Chloe, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. And your friend who passed away, she didn't have a will, but also didn't tell her children what she would want to happen to Chloe. So there was really chaos, wasn't there? There was chaos. Okay, so there's the big message. You have to plan, but what really should you do? And you spoke with Frances Carlyle, a legal expert about this, uh, a few months ago, didn't you?
1: Yes, Frances is a New York attorney specializing in trust and estate planning. And she shared her experiences with us in the steps all dog guardians should take when preparing their will.
0: And the first is that you need to prepare something and you need to have a lawyer who's experienced in this. She explained that many lawyers, they did not learn this in law school and they're just not up to what they uh, could do or should do. So make sure you uh, speak with someone who's done this before. Which is not to say that you necessarily need a will if you are going to communicate your wishes to trustworthy friends or family and even get it in in writing. But just uh, make sure you take some steps so, so people know what you want.
1: But Peter, you need an agreement from your friends or family. A lot of times friends or family don't really want that responsibility after they're
0: gone. So just don't lay it on them. A further step you could take is to create a pet trust, right? Right. So you can't leave property or money directly to your companion animals they're not allowed to receive that but you can create a legal structure a trust uh, that you can fund with money and then designate trustees to care for your animals when you're gone with your specific instructions
1: and it's important to review your arrangements each year to confirm that the caregivers and trustees you've
0: chosen are still willing and able to fulfill these duties And we do that yearly with our people, too, don't we? Right. Which reminds me of uh, Leona Helmsley. Yes, Leona Helmsley
1: and her dog, Trouble. Trouble. So Trouble was her Maltese dog, and she left $12 million in the trust fund for Trouble. Right, Peter? But later, the judge lowered the inheritance to $2 million. And listen, after receiving numerous death and kidnapping threats, Trouble retired to Florida. And she died at the age of 12 in 2011 but she had full-time security and received round-the-clock luxurious care from the general manager of the Helmsley Sandcastle
0: Hotel in Sarasota. So that's probably the richest inheritance by any animal. I do believe so. Okay, we're back. In Mexico, near Cancun, is a wonderful nonprofit animal clinic, rescue, adoption organization, Isla Animals. Lori and I have been following their work, speaking with them, and supporting them. So finally, here is our chance to introduce them to you. Allison Sawyer is the founder of Isla Animals and is here with us now. Welcome, Allison.
2: Oh, hello. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, great. It's so finally. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's just start. What is Isla Animals?
2: Isla Animals uh, is a rescue that's been around for 23 years, doing everything they possibly can to help the local cats and dogs.
0: And where is Isla Animals?
2: Well, we were on an island called Isla Mujeres, which is off of the coast of Cancun. And um, now we're relocating to Cancun.
0: Okay. So that explains the name Isla Animals. Uh, give us the early history. How did it get started? You're the founder. What'd you do?
2: Oh, uh, well, I don't know. I didn't mean to do it. I'll start with that. Wow. Uh, I moved to uh, Isla Mujeres in the year 2000. Uh, I built a house down there and um, uh, it's amazing what you get used to seeing until you really pay attention. You know, I um, anyway, the local animal population was heartbreaking. It was just terrible. And uh, it's a fishing island. Um it's uh, the people there aren't see they're innocent they're not very well educated their dogs are just around because it's a it's heartbreaking because they had, there was no vet there at the time and they no way to spay and neuter their animals and the ferries that went between um, Cancun and Isla Mujeres wouldn't take dogs okay so they had no course of action and there were dogs everywhere it's a warm Um, climate so they they could live there year round and they just kept breeding and there were so many of them and uh, people's idea people had sort of no respect for an animal they didn't decide to have one they just sort of plant themselves in front of somebody's house and if that person thought they were kind of cool they might throw food out to them but they were Anyway, I just started taking them in. There were puppies climbing out of the bushes. Uh, they had uh, their their dogs would have puppies, and then they couldn't have any more dogs, so they'd take the puppies once they were weaned and put them in a box and put them in the uh, nearest empty lot or in the woods. And there were just puppies climbing out of the out of everywhere.
0: So how is it that it started there? You see this problem, you start taking it on personally to grow it into a functioning nonprofit with uh, volunteers and, uh, you know, fleshing it out?
2: Uh, I guess I just became obsessed. I always say I got hit by a dog stick. I don't know what hit me and I just couldn't not do it. I once I saw the problem, all I saw was the problem. It was just extraordinary. And uh, and I I loved doing it. I didn't want to do anything else. All I wanted to do was help these animals. And that was mainly dogs because I started it at my house and I had to, uh, I couldn't have cats and dogs there. I didn't have a facility. So um, it just got bigger and bigger. And uh, the locals started coming to me for help because there was nowhere else for them to go. And I was so honored that they came to me for help. And then people would start. Uh, somehow, oh, I know what happened. They Somebody put my house in a travel brochure on what to do on Isla Mujeres. So people started knocking on my door to see the dogs, and or to come and walk them, or they missed their dog they were on vacation. So they wanted to pet some puppies. And it just grew from there. They started to tell their friends, and uh, they started to repeat their vacation in the same location and bring me supplies um, then a friend of mine helped me um, start a website and that's when it really
0: took off okay so let's fast forward really leap many years forward and you're in this uh, facility in islam mucaris and uh unexpectedly you have to move because of a uh, government uh, machinations there so uh, what's going on now and what, what are you doing to provide the services? And while you're there, just tell us what are the ser- main services you provide right now?
2: Okay. Well, I'll just start with um, the government actually finally could see the difference. And they gave me a facility to work in in 2015. Yeah. Uh, and last spring, they decided they wanted the facility back. And um, so... What we provided for them at the time was anything, anybody, any animal needed. We did free-spay and neuter clinics two days a week and did 20 to 40 animals a week. Uh, we had vaccination campaigns. We would go into the neighborhoods and, and give out uh, tick and flea meds. Um, we would uh, take care of, uh, if somebody had a wounded animal, we would take him that animal and get it back to health and we would take in we started taking in street animals getting them back to health testing them for diseases treating the diseases and finding them homes
0: yeah okay and so what are you doing right now to uh uh, get your new facility going what's happening there
2: well it's very sad because we can't do what we normally do uh we um, we're so focused on trying to get this open so that we can get back to work. And the new facility is in Cancun on the outskirts of the city near the airport, which is very handy. And um, we're building a new facility there, which is very exciting because it's being built to what we need rather than spaces we've used before that we take them and try to make the best out of what we have. Yeah. And the need around us is enormous. Yes, So we're very excited. We'll continue to do the work we already do. And it's being built,
0: built out right now. And you're fundraising as you go. So that's uh, right. So that raises two questions. Where can people go to see the progress and how can they support you? And we'll, And uh, we'll touch on some other things uh, after you
2: tell them that. Okay. Well, we have a GoFundMe, Save Isla Animals Rescue, Save-Isla-Animals-Rescue at GoFundMe.com. Great. And we show updates. We show how we're going. We're going as fast as we can and using whatever funds we have that month to keep going. Yeah. Okay. Because we want to get open. Take a step back. Tell us a little bit about
0: any differences between how dogs and cats are regarded in the areas that you are in in Mexico compared into the U.S. Um,
2: There are wandering dogs. There are street dogs everywhere. Because there's jungle and people often <clears throat> will take a dog in their neighborhood and and take it to the local ju- jungle and abandon it there because they don't want it around their house because dogs and cats are attracted to where the food is. So they want to be where people are. And um, so it, And most of these street dogs are not spayed or neutered, which is, of course, the answer to the problem. And so they uh, keep having litters and they just it just it just explodes.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So explain
0: how careful you are and how strategic you are in using the donated funds. I mean, you guys don't flitter away your donations.
2: Oh, none of it. None of it. We use every penny for the animals or something that we're doing for the animals. And uh, with this building, we are our own contractor. We are working with people we know locally to help us get materials as as cheaply as we can. We have a a local crew that's uh, very, very dedicated to getting this place built and so, uh we're doing it as cheaply as we can. We we they, originally it had no water, no electricity, no sewage. The road we're on doesn't even have a name. Oh yeah. I mean, we're talking in the jungle. Yeah. It was we had
0: to clear the jungle to start. And uh the the land was donated by a veterinarian associate.
2: Yes. Uh, our, our our veterinarian donated the land. He We've been working together for he- years. He's an incredible vet. And he uh, sees what we're doing, and he wants us to do more of it. And he donated the land to help us.
0: That's that's so- wonderful. Okay. Yeah. So the GoFundMe, that's the place you want people to start looking. And um, tell us Yes. That. Tell us how to find that again,
2: please. Okay. Well, it's on the go it's on GoFundMe. Right. And as I said, it's uh, you know, if you do save Isla Animal Rescue on GoFundMe, you'll right. get there.
0: Okay. That's great. And, and
2: we also have a website which is uh Islaanimals.org. And we they can go to that and see what we're doing and the GoFundMe link is on there.
0: Yeah. And uh, finally, uh, you've got a book coming out, The
2: Dog Lady of Mexico. Tell us briefly about that. Actually, the book is out. Oh, great. And it, uh, it's just I'll tell you very quickly. It's a funny story. I It's my second book. I wrote my first book to raise money for the for the. Um, Rescue, but I had no idea it was so hard to get a book published, <laughs> but it was a good start for me doing this second book, which is based on the truth. It's been rearranged a little for a storyline, and it's absolutely true. It's the first 10 years of the rescue, and the stories are happy, sad. I don't want to break anybody's heart, um, and it's a good read.
0: I bet it is because uh, I'm sure it comes from the heart and it's uh, true. So, Allison yeah. Sawyer, okay, uh, Isla Animals, uh, everybody, check it out. Lori and I have been uh, following and chatting and uh, supporting you for a few years now. We love what you're doing, truly, and, and, and we're uh, very we're... grateful for your oh, support. Oh, this is our, it's our pleasure. Um, so, thank you, Allison Sawyer, and uh, we'll keep in touch and uh, speak to you soon. Okay. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, stick around. You're listening to Animals Today.
1: Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner with the Animals Today Minute. Are you a rabbit person? Ever wonder if your family would enjoy living with one or more of these fun, furry, lovable animals? Well, first, got to do your homework. Rabbits need safe indoor spaces free from electrical wires they can chew. But chew they will, so you'll need to provide them with safe, chewable toys and keep them away from any furniture you like. Rabbits will learn to use the litter box. Use positive reinforcement to train them to do so. And you will need to provide a healthy diet for your rabbits. But it's easy. Mostly hay, some leafy greens, and some rabbit pellets. Rabbits should be fixed to decrease marking, lessen aggression, and give them longer, happier lives. And of course, when you're finally ready, make sure to adopt and not to buy your new family member. Just check out one of the many rabbit rescue organizations to find one or more rabbits that have the right personality for your family. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Check them out at AIANIMALS.org. That's ai. A-I-An-
0: We are experiencing a brutally cold winter, and if you look after any outdoor cats or community cats, maybe you've wondered if there's anything more you can do to help them get through these cold snaps. With some good information on this, I am pleased to welcome Molly Armas, staff attorney with Alley Cat Allies. Hello, Molly.
3: Hi there. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, we're so excited to uh, talk about this because it has been such a tough winter. Alley Cat Allies has a new release just providing some basic ideas of what you can do if you wanted to help the cats around your neighborhood get through this winter. Uh, It starts with the just simple notion of providing better shelter or shelter to protect them from the cold. Tell us about what you can do.
1: Absolutely.
3: You know, cats are super resilient. They live and thrive outdoors in all kinds of climates. But, you know, when it's this cold, a little extra help can really go a long way. And so, as you mentioned, providing shelters is a wonderful way to do that. You can purchase pre-made ones online or at our website, AlleyCat.org. We have really helpful step-by-step instructional videos on how to build some yourself with very inexpensive common materials. One of the things we recommend is using straw, again, because it's inexpensive and it repels moisture. And if you do have shelters already, or if you're planning on building them, something we think is super important, especially when it snows, is to make sure that all entrances and exits are clear so cats don't get trapped inside and they can freely move in and out.
0: Some of them online are very simple. Even I could do it, but some of them are nice. If you're handy or mm-hmm. you're a woodworker, you can do something really cool. Yep. And, mm-hmm. and straw, uh, not hay, hay will get wet.
3: Exactly, you want straw because it repels moisture.
0: Okay, so now in terms of food and water, it was interesting for me to learn that there's increased need for food in the cold. Tell us about how to help the cats uh, eat and drink.
3: Absolutely. So. If you're currently providing food and water or you see a community cat and you're interested in providing water, food and water, we definitely recommend increasing those portions because, you know, when they are trying to stay warm, they're using more energy. So giving them more food allows them to conserve energy and stay warm. You know, we recommend um, if you feed canned or wet food to put it in an insulated container or you can use dry food, which will not freeze. And then when it comes to water, you want to make sure check To check it regularly and if you can put it someplace that the sun hits so it doesn't freeze
0: now there are devices to help keep the water from freezing
3: absolutely Um, you can do what are they called oh heated electric bowls can help that or using kind of deep bowls rather than wide bowls um, can help prevent freezing as well
0: Mm. and wet or dry food does it matter
3: It doesn't really matter, it's just if you are going to use the candor wet food, as I said, um, putting it in insulated containers will help prevent it from freezing. Dry food will not freeze, but again, just checking it regularly to make sure everything's okay is very important.
0: Yeah. Now, every winter we are reminded of the special precautions to take when cats are around uh, when it's cold, uh, such as precautions related to antifreeze or making sure a cat isn't hiding in your wheel well. What are some of those things?
3: You mentioned making sure cats are not hiding in well wheels. You know, I think it starts in probably starting in the fall. We recommend that people, you know, tap the hood of their car because cats might be keeping warm near the engine or under the car. So just checking around, making sure there's no one there. And then, you know, talking about ways to de-ice. So using salt and chemicals to melt snow can be lethal for both dogs and cats if it's licked off paws and ingested. So we recommend, you know, sand or um, other pet friendly deicers icers available at most pet stores um, and then as you mentioned antifreeze which again is very lethal we do not recommend using that or if you do use it and you spill it to quickly clean it up you know you can switch to a non-lethal version which is made with propylene glycol um, it's less toxic
0: yeah Okay, and so finally, in terms of those who are interested in spaying and neutering community cats or doing TNR, what special concerns are there in winter when it's cold?
3: Sure. So doing trap neuter return, the only humane and effective approach to stabilizing community cat populations, you can continue to do that in the winter. Um definitely continue spaying and neutering, but we recommend that you trap you check your traps frequently and that you have a warm place for pre- and post-surgery for the cats. And then, you know, when you do bring your cats to the vet to be spayed or neutered, just talk to the vet and ask if they could possibly shave a little less hair off. Um, That way the cats stay warmer.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's a great tip. I like that.
3: We go into a lot more detail on our website at AlleyCat.org slash winterweather. You know, if there's anything else you want to follow up on or, you know, I mentioned videos to build shelters and feeding stations, you can check them out there.
0: Molly Armus with Alley Cat Allies. Thank you very much. Great tips. Thank you. Well, hey, Lori. Peter, what do you got there? Well, it is raining so hard this morning in Southern California and right around here. You might say... It's raining cats and dogs.
1: Yes, you might say that.
0: And everyone knows that means it's raining very hard. My mom used to use this phrase all the time. You know, there are two origin stories about this phrase. One is that the dog who was the attendant to the Storm King Odin was a symbol of the wind, and cats came to symbolize pouring rain. And so dogs were strong gusts of wind, and cats were pouring rain, and in a very heavy storm, you had both cats and dogs involved. Hmm. There's another explanation that comes from 17th century London. It's sort of sad, uh, after heavy downpours, many of the stray and feral cats and the dogs that roam the streets drown and their bodies can be floating in the torrents.
1: Yeah, I've heard of that one.
0: Yeah. And of course, there are many interesting idioms and phrases related to cats in our language. Do you know the one sitting in the catbird seat? I like that one. Sure. Prime position. Yes. Or having control. You are in control of the situation. Uh, That was coined by the sports announcer named Red Barber, and it was brought to attention in Thurber's novel, The Catbird Seed. He defined that as sitting pretty, like a batter with three balls and no strikes on him. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Cat got your tongue, Lori? No, never.
1: That's not nice.
0: (laughs) A bag of cats can mean it like a person with a bad temperament. Do you know the one as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs? I heard that one
1: before, yes. Yeah.
0: The so uh, cats
1: don't want their tails to be rocked on?
0: You bet. So that's somebody who has like a nervous or frayed nerves. Right. Okay. Uh, the cat's meow.
1: Oh, yeah. Austin Powers used that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Something uh, that's outstanding or, or excellent. Also, that was coined by American cartoonist Thomas Dorgan, who also had the phrase cat's pajamas. Do you know that one, Cat's Pajamas? Something that's outstanding. The cool, yeah. cool thing. The be all and the end all. That's the Cat's Pajamas. Yeah. Okay, just a couple more. Like Hurting Cats, that's one that I like. Like trying to get control of a situation that's futile. Right. Like Hurting Cats. Like a Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Uh, that came from Tennessee Williams' play, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. That's almost self-explanatory. Right. And our last one for today, Enough to Make a Cat Laugh. That's when someone says something so outlandish and ridiculous, it would just make a cat laugh and cats don't laugh. Okay, Lori, and actually for the real last one is the phrase to rub someone's fur the wrong way. You know Like that to
1: one. ruffle your feathers?
0: To irritate someone or to upset somebody. You know, cats don't really like their fur rubbed the wrong way, it annoys them. So I think we're done here, Lori. Lori, does a cat have your tongue? <laughs> Say it.
1: Cat's got my tongue. Okay. Okay. Thanks for tuning into Animals today. This is Dr. Lori Kirschner and Dr. Peter Spiegel, yep. encouraging and nurture your love and compassion for the only other being sharing our planet, the animals.